you know, your strength and conditioning coach isn't working in a silo and then your, you know, your footy coaches or your technical tattoo or coaches are working in that silo over there and they never talk to each other and they never, um, you know, collaborate or communicate. So, um, yeah, what we do inside the gym has got to have some sort of transfer or complement our game model, so how we want to play our football. Um, and what we do on the field, um, we theme up our days um, and we marry up the physical with the tactical, technical. So, you know, an easy way to describe to the listeners would be, um, you know, we have a day, what we call our bolt day, which um, from a physical point of view, it's it's our extensive running, so our high-speed running, so to speak. And then we try and marry that up with, okay, technically, tactically, what are the high-speed efforts in rugby league or rugby union? And that's like your kick sprint, isn't it? You know, like your kick sprint or, you know, your transitional um, stuff, you know, in, in rugby league or rugby union where they're kicking the ball and you're going from attack to defence or defence to attack. G'day, Anthony. How are you? Yeah, good, Kieran. Thanks for having us on, mate. Thanks for joining me today. So how's the off-season going at the moment and what have you been up to? Yeah, um, I haven't had a chance to have too much of a break yet. Um, sort of I've been doing lots of planning for, for this coming pre-season. We've also got a, a game over in Las Vegas, which takes a fair bit of logistical planning. So spent plenty of time on that and also um, just tidying up our, our roster. So it's going to be busy, but I'll, I'll get a, a short break over the next couple of weeks and um, and then come back ready to yeah ready to, to go for um, for early November. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting, that Las Vegas game. Like, I didn't know that was going to happen until I saw it on TV. I was like, wow, that's actually a really good idea. And I think the Americans will really enjoy watching um, rugby league over there. Yeah, well, look, man, I'm not sure, to, um, not too sure how much um, participation in, in rugby or rugby league will drive over there, but I think the big thing is it'll probably drive some betting on the game. So mm. I think potentially that might be the motivation for it. Um, look, it's a challenge. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a challenge for, for clubs to, to base themselves over there with the, with the distance and the travel and the jet lag and the associated um, issues around performance. But, um, you know, it's going to be a great life experience for, for our players to play, you know, at, Stadium where the Super Bowl is going to be held probably only a month and a half earlier, and um, yeah, it'll be you know, we can make a, a really good memory over there, yeah, 100% exciting times coming up. So, did you always want to become a rugby league coach after you finished playing, or you sort of didn't know what you wanted to do? Uh, no, well, I did a teaching degree when I was young, like so. Um, when I was coming through the Brisbane Broncos in the early 90s, um, the game was only semi professional, um, all but you know, we got paid, but um. You know, Australian sport was all, all semi-pro. So I did a teaching degree. So I was teaching um, year six uh, when I was 21 years of age um, and playing, well, you know, reserve grade for the Brisbane Broncos. Um, and then the game went professional. Um, I got signed to the Canberra Raiders uh, for 97. So I had done a year's teaching, um, played professionally for Canberra um, over in the English Super League um, for London Broncos and Hulk Howe. And then when I came back from there, I, I restarted my coaching Sorry, we started my teaching rather, and I started coaching some high school teams. You know, so I coached under thirteen A's and first thirteen at school, and uh, so that went the appetite, mate. So I think you know, um, you know, teaching is coaching a lot of ways. So it was, yeah, it was it was something I really enjoyed when I finished playing football over in the UK, and um, yeah, I've enjoyed it ever since. Yeah. Teaching is definitely coaching and you, you hear it all, all the time now, some teachers who have come over to, to be really good coaches and all the things that they've learned from teaching and then applied it straight away. So it's so it's really cool to see. Yeah, look, I think, um, 
know, you don't have to be a teacher to be a good coach, but I think the best coaches, like, I think one of the best coaches I worked with was, was Craig Bellamy. And I, you know, I said to him one time, like, he's the best teacher that I've seen. And he said, why is that? You know, like, because um, he's, you know, he, he didn't do a, a formal teaching degree, but, you know, just his messaging, his feedback, the use of questioning, um, use of metaphors, analogies, storytelling, all those different things that, you know, the really good teachers we remember from when we were at school, he was excellent at. So, um, yeah, you don't have to have done a teaching degree to, to be a good teacher or to be a good coach, but certainly helped help me and has helped me over, over my um, you know, coaching career. Mm. For me, I feel like it's getting back to being an athlete has helped me become a better SNC coach and put and getting um in their shoes and understanding what they're going through. So I think if you can sort of, you know, diff- try and go a, d- a different way and just learn from a different sort of perspective, it can definitely make you a better coach or a better athlete as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So with the 2023 uh, NRL season over, what are you going to currently work on in the off season and what were the positives, you know, from the season that you're going to um, are trying to address um, this season coming up? Yeah, well, there, there was plenty of positives. Um, you know, our ultimate goal was to make the playoffs. Um, you know, we didn't do that, but, um, you know, we took points out of 50% of our game. So it's a significant improvement on, on the year before. Biggest thing I was proud of this year, mate, was how well connected the group was. Um, you know, we had a really strong uh, you know, team spirit within the group. Um, very much connected group. And that was the, 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 the number one priority for me, coming into a group that had had some challenges the year before. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of our pre-season on, on, on building those connections, building belonging within our group, less about the X's and the O's. Um, now, we had some some challenges with with some injuries to players during the year. So, you know, one one thing we've looked at is adding competition for spots and adding depth, depth to our group. I think, you know, we've got 27 or 28 players um, who've all played first grade and our squad for 2024. So we'll have significant competition for spots. Um, but in the NRL at the moment, there's a real cluster of teams. Like teams sort of four te- down to team 12 or 13 are very, very close. And ultimately, you know, the difference between us making the finals and not were two golden point results that didn't go our way. So we're working really hard on how we break that cluster of teams and, and what can our competitive advantage be? Like, um, you know, we don't get the luxury of playing 14 games at Suncorp Stadium or we don't have the luxury of having, um, you know, this pathway system that produces, you know, five, six, seven players out of their juniors every single year. So what we've got to work out and we're working really hard on what can be, what can our competitive advantage be? So, there are a couple of things we're working really hard on, but we're really optimistic about 2024. Uh, we finished the year exceptionally well. Our last month of football was probably our best footy and we we're missing a number of our players. So, um, yeah, look, it's a, it was a sound start. Probably give it a C plus, Kieran, um, overall. But, um, yeah, we certainly got more in us. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that sort of middle section of the NRL, it's so close. And, you know, being a Parramatta supporter, you know, at one stage we're in the top six and then, finishing the end of season outside the top eight. So it's just so close and so competitive. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's coming down to the wire with those golden point results and stuff like that. So it is a, a really um, hard competition to win games and then try and make that top eight. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's you know, I've coached uh, international level in rugby and with England rugby and obviously um, coached three different clubs now in the NRL. Um, the NRL is the hardest rugby competition of either code in the world. That, that's the reality of it. And um, the salary cap by design makes it a really even competition. Now, you probably could argue that Penrith are way out in front um, at the moment. They have been. Uh, but generally speaking, the salary cap's designed to, to have this closeness of competition. So, um, you know, we took points out of 50% of our games this year and didn't make the final still. Like, you know, generally speaking, a few years ago, if that was the case, yeah, 
you know, always playing finals football. So, yeah, it's a close competition. It's a tough competition. But I think that's why it's so popular, Kieran, in, in New South Wales and Queensland and, and also New Zealand. I was really surprised at, you know, um, the support that New Zealand Warriors had in the competition mm. when we played over there. It's incredible atmosphere, incredible vibe around the city. Um, yeah, so it's a really popular competition in this part of the world. But I think it's the, the toughest um, and most even rugby competition um, of any code in, in, in the world. Yeah, 100%. And it always seems like every year a team bounces back and then surprises you with their performance and then gets a top eight finish, you know. So it's it just shows you how competitive it is and how teams are constantly trying to improve. Yeah, well, that's, as I said before, like that's, the, you know, salary cap by design tries to have an even competition rather than have three or four teams like the Premier League soccer who've got the most money and they can buy the best players in the world and, and take them to their clubs, you know, by design, we don't have a draft, um, but we've got a salary cap. So it promotes evenness in the competition. Um, and and that's what we get. You know, you, who would have thought Cowboys, Parramatta, um, who were top four teams the previous year wouldn't make the, the mm. top eight this year, you know. Um, New Zealand Warriors come from 15th um, and made it to, to third um, in this year's competition. So it's very even. Um, like I said before, how you break the cluster, like that's what we reckon. How can we break that cluster of teams and, and what can our competitive advantage be next year? So that takes up a lot of our thinking and my thinking in particular. Yeah, 100%. What, what did you think of the grand final? Because I thought that was just a great way to finish off the season yeah. with those two teams and just the dramatic scenes um, that, that happened throughout the game was awesome. Yeah, it's a hell of a game, isn't it? Like it was incredible. Incredible standard of football. Um, you know, the, the skill, athleticism, um, power, um, closeness of the game, all those different types of things were, were there for everyone to see. Um, and, you know, it was a fantastic advertisement for our game because I thought the game has played great spirit but with great athleticism, fantastic skill level. Um, yeah, it was a real benchmark game for our competition and that's why, you know, we probably had, you know, record, um, you know, crowds, um, you know, this year in the game and, um, you know, the, the, the viewership on tally has been really high. Um, we've got some genuine superstars in the game. So, you know, some of those guys stood out in, in that grand final. But, yeah, it was a great advertisement for the NRL. Mm. So just going back to um, something that you said before, with building, you know, the, the team cohesion, what were some of the things that you uh, focused on uh, last season that you're going to focus on this season to make sure the groups are really tight and um, can really give um, good performances out, out on the field? Yeah, well, again, well, you know, we'll continue to grow in that space. But some of the, the simple things we did to build belonging um, were around, um, you know, we have what we call duty of care groups, like docs groups. Um, so we've got 36 players plus a number of training and trial players. Um, but we put them in the groups of six and we actually put it in our schedule where they had to meet off-site for an activity once a week, like part of our schedule, just to try and build that closeness in some smaller groups initially. Um, yeah, so, so making sure that was part of our program each and every single week um, and we'd get them to take a photo of whatever activity they were doing and we created this massive big uh, picture. We painted a picture of this closeness and this connection over the, over the pre-season. We put it on, on our team meeting uh, room wall. So that was one thing. The other thing was, you know, to get the players to show some vulnerability. So you know, we did a really um, you know, fantastic uh, emotive activity called Triple H, which is, you know, getting players to and staff members to, to talk about their hero hardship and highlight. And we would do um, two or three of those each week. Um, so, you know, it wasn't just one session of all 36 players and, you know, all 20-odd staff do it. We, you know, um, every week we sort of drip fed that in. And, you know, there's some incredible stories, a lot of tears shed. Um, 
we uh, make sure we embrace the cultures. We, we, we're really, we've got a really diverse um, cultural, um, I suppose, um, spectrum of, of, of people in our club and we want to celebrate that. So we had some nights where um, we had typical um, food from um, the different cultures of people we um, have within our group. You know, so it wasn't just one thing. There was a, a number of things. Um, and, you know, we, we did a typical army top can because we wanted to put the players under pressure and, and show them they've got more than what they they think they've got. You know, so we did a model two to things and, and we'll continue to grow that this year and, and add to that. But that was the starting point for us. Um, but what we found was by pre-season ga- trial games, you know, we had a really close connected group. And I think one thing, you know, people... Um, would say that Manly were a very well connected team this year, and albeit we didn't make the playoffs, we you know we showed a lot of team spirit and we had a a real desire to, to look after our mates. No, that's fantastic. It's always good to hear about stuff like that, and it, it's it's definitely the stuff that needs to be worked on the most. And you'll see the rewards out in the field, but you also see the rewards just um, plays interacting with with each other and really enjoying what they're doing. Yeah, and it's never a finished product. It's always like a piece of string, you know, how long's a piece of string? Like you've just got to continually um, work on it. Um, you can't think that um, you've got to connect a group and drop off on it. So we've got a you know a number of things that we're going to add on to, to what we, we did last year. Um, but, yeah, that's no, really important space, you know, that belonging and connectedness within a group. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, that, that's really important within, um, yeah, within teams. Mm, 100%. So as a coach, how have you found the game of rugby league over the last two years? Do you think the game's getting faster and, you know, there's more um, unique attacking and defensing star, uh, styles of play? Um, what has been, what has caught your eye as a coach, really? Yeah, well, I can't answer about the last two years because I was I was working with England Rugby, um, you know, the, the, the previous 18 months to, to this season, but I can talk about this year. So, well, you know, some, some of the things we're saying, like if you look at the demands of the game, they've never been um, higher. So that ball in play, you know, just to compare like test rugby um, into an NRL, um, when I was working with England, average test rugby ball and play time was 35 minutes. The average NRL ball and play time in 2024 was 55 minutes. So um, the ball and play time, um, you know, gradually uh, gets a little bit longer um, season upon season. I think Broncos and Penrith, they played for 64 minutes ball and play in round one. So just imagine that round one of the back of a preseason. You know, so obviously the intensity within that ball and play um, is, is, is as high as ever. So, you know, you're seeing big, strong physical athletes um, who, you know, uh, are being tested through the demands of the game. So that's certainly what I've seen this year. I think the other thing we've seen is, um, probably for you know a decade, you know probably prior to twenty eighteen, um, there was probably a decade where defence um, it was more of a defensively biased game. You know the wrestle really got heavily involved um, or inducted into our game. I, I think over the last couple of years, with some different rule changes, you've seen um, the the bias come back to the attack or the advantage come back to the attack. So that's sort of what I, again I saw that this year. Um, you know, plenty of points scored, even that grand final. You know, what was it, twenty six, twenty four? So that's fifty points. Mm. Um, you know, in in a in a real high quality game of rugby league. So yeah, that's sort of what we saw this year. Um, yeah, we, we we saw that, and I think the other thing we we started to see is um, multi position players. You know, so it doesn't matter what number you wear on your back. Um, you know. 
you, it's more about roles rather than positions, if that makes sense. You know, so one of the best ball players in the competition is Isaiah Yo from the Penrith Panthers, number 13. He touches the ball just as much as, as Nathan Cleary. Um, you know, um, Paddy Kagan does a similar role for the Broncos. So in an old generation, they could have been wearing seven or six, you know, mm-hmm. but they're bigger guys. Um, so I just think the number on your back of your jersey is probably more position specific. You know, I, I think the NRL this year is more role specific. You know, you'll see some centres that leave their side of the field and go the other side of the field. Um, yeah, you're, you, you've seen some halfbacks turn into hookers. So I just think that sort of multi positional, multi role player is probably growing this year. So they're probably the three big things I'll say. Yeah, it's it's really cool to see it as well that you have to have all these skill attributes and um, put them out in the field. It's the same as with rugby union back in the day. You wouldn't really catch a prop passing, say a ten meter pass mm. or multiple, um, you know, oh, bumps yeah. out, out at the back to the ten or an inside pass. Yeah, well, and, and, now, and now you're seeing it. Well, if you watch Island Rugby play, like they're the best. They're probably the most skillful um, forwards in world rugby. Like um, they're catch and pass. You know, they're they're, they're two front rowers. They catch and pass is outstanding. Um, and you know, they really jumped ahead of the game in rugby. Um, you know, certainly from what I can see with regards to how they use their forwards as, as ball players. Um, typically, you know, I remember listening to Jason Leonard, the, the ex-England front rower who won a World Cup in 2003. He said it was his 51st test until he touched the footy in a game. <laughs> you know, can you believe that? And so the way that the forwards play in rugby now is, is, is vastly different and Ireland do it the best. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, it's just cool to see all these uh, different players got all these different skill attributes and then coaches trying to use them as well. And it just reminds me of sort of like the NFL as well. You have all these skill players on my um, offense. How can I best utilize them and, you know, show off some different skills as well? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great. Mm. So what are the keys to having a successful attacking uh, rugby league style in the in the NRL? Yeah, well, I think whether it's NRL or rugby union, um, you know, the thing, I would call it live attack. You know, so um, you know, every, everyone's got everyone's got a role on each play. You know, so you want to be live, not dead. So think of you know push support. Think of you know power running. Um, you know, think of of you know people being options rather than decoys. So um, you know, the thing that we see in, in the NRL with live attack is um, you know teams are really good at creating momentum. You know, so power running, push support, you know, getting one-on-one tackles. And the more one-on-one tackles you get, the quicker they play the ball. So off the back of creating momentum teams and apply pressure, you know, through their, their decision makers or their ball players. So I think, um, you know, the best teams in the competition can create momentum and they can apply pre- pressure off the back of that. And, um, you know, the best teams now in the NRL from attack point of view are, are less structured, you know. So they'll have a framework, but they're making decisions all the time. Um, you know, some people call it rise up footy. I'm not sure that's a, the right way to describe it, but um, it's a bit of a, a, a corny sort of term at the moment. But I think it's about you know creating a man and then applying pressure, then allowing your decision makers um, and your ball players to to um, yeah to play off the back of that. Mm. So what's it like having um, DCE as your halfback and just sort of allowing him to sort of control it, or you, you still give him that sort of give and take relationship, or you're just sort of giving him a bit more. Um, take and just just sort of letting him go with the flow yeah well as i said before you, you have a framework but you know why would you try and um you know why, why would you try and put a straight jacket on on mm. somebody like you know um Chaz? so that, they're the decision makers out there as i said we'll have a framework about you know how we create, create the momentum and how we can apply pressure but ultimately we want, we want them making decisions you know we want them using weapons you know so um you know 
he's got a great kicking game. So why wouldn't we use his kicking game? You know, regardless of what tackle it is. You know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think the best attacks use their weapons really well. And and you know, you look at Broncos and Penrith in the grand final; they've got some real weapons in their team. And if you think of Ezra Man, like that wasn't from structured play, he scored three tries, or one of them potentially was where Reese Walsh went through, but the other two, Ezra Man, for those I'm not saying at home, I'm sorry, who don't know much about the NRL at home. Um, like he, he essentially took the line on twice himself. He just looked up, saw that there was a, a middle forward in front of him, or saw someone turning out and, and made those decisions on the run. So that's yeah, that's what we wanted to do. Like we're two hundred metres away, mate, you know, so we've got to give the players the opportunity to make a decision. Yeah, 100%. So with the ball being in play more, how are you trying to stop that momentum and stop those one-on-one opportunities um, that the attacking is getting in for, for the defence? Yeah, well, you've got to try and find a way to break the pattern of the team, right? So one thing that I did learn from uh, from rugby union was how can we create more contests? You know, so um, how you hand over the football to the opposition team, so how you minimise the back five. So Penrith, for instance, got the best back five in the competition, right? So if you kick long to them, as an example, they're going to create momentum on early tackles, aren't they? And then they just fall into their pattern. So you, as a coach, what you can help the team with, okay, so what's the way to break the pattern? So it might be running on the last. So rather than give, give Brian Toller or Dylan Edwards um, an opportunity to, to get a one-on-one on a kick return, hand it over to them so it's a static start or kick it in the touch so it's a static start. So as coaches, we can come up with some ways to try and break, break teams' pattern. Um, when the, the, the when the momentum is against you and you get scored against, well, why would you go back and kick up on to the big front row and James Fisher-Harris who's going to charge onto it? You know, so do you try and create a contest? Do you kick to a different part of the field? So they're all ways that you can try and break um, team, you know, break the pattern of opposition teams. But um, once a team has momentum in the NRL, it is really hard to get it back, so you've got to try and find a way to do that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, an interesting area of how to break momentum. And, you know, do you hand it to that player a bit more and try and get them a bit tired or you, you do the opposite, try and go a different way so they're not being involved as well? I've heard um, stories from both areas. So it's always interesting to hear people's pers- pr- perspectives on that. Yeah, mm. definitely. So planning out a typical training week, how do you structure so you get enough time working on attack, defense, you know, restarts and all that? How do you sort of best plan that? Um, for your week with the athletes that you got? Yeah, well, the, the way that I do it is um, essentially um, early in the week, it's it's about giving the players clarity. This is how we want to play this week. There's some opportunities. So, um, you know, we're trying to install how we want to play our footy. So I think of, you know, it's almost like CIA, right? So early in the week, it's clarity. Then you, you test the game plan at intensity in the middle part of the week, you know, so you'll have um, some arm wrestles, you'll have some cycles, you have, a little bit more contact, so the physicality is up a little bit. And then as you get closer to the game, it's about accuracy. So I think of, you know, clarity early in the week, intensity, the middle part of the week, and accuracy, the, the later part of the week. So that's how we, um, you know, we install our game plan or a game model, um, as we call it. Um, and every coach does it differently, you know. So you know, there's more than one way of doing things, but that's just a way that we find, um, you know, is, well, it's a way that I feel uh, really comfortable with as a coach you know, to, to, to install um, you know, how we want to play our footy and um, practice our footy. No, I think that's a really cool acronym that you got there, and I think I'll start using that as well. But um, how how much do you spread out the, the contact during the week? Do you still get a, a decent amount of contact in there towards the back end of the week, say if you're playing a game on the weekend, or oh. do you sort of ease it off um, quite a bit? Well, it just varies. You know, the, varies, you know, the variability on that is, is 
because I remember things. How many days between games? Like it's a, if it's a five-day game, you're not going to get that intensity session where you do a lot of contact in the week because you've only got a five-day turnaround. If it's a nine-day turnaround, well, yeah, like the, the, the you know potentially that that intensity, the middle part of the week, um, is you know is, is going to have a little bit more volume with regards to contact. So um, yeah, we, we plan. We plan all that depending on our schedule, um, but also what we think the players need. You know, if the players have, have a, there was one period early in the year where we had two um, golden point games in a row, and um, you know that takes a lot of juice out of you, regardless of whether it's a six, seven, eight day turnaround. So, yeah, just what the players need. That's something you always think about as a coaching staff. Um, it's not what you want; it's what the players need. So, um, but yeah, varies week to week upon your. Your turnaround in the NRL, look, it's from five-day turnaround to a ten-day turnaround, so it's vastly different. Mm. It just comes back to having that really good relationship with your, your key players and making sure that you understand, yeah, what's going on with the playing group because you don't want to prescribe something that's not really appropriate at the at, at the time. Yeah, as I said, it's what the players need. Yeah, not mm. what you need, but what the players need. Yeah. Mm. So in today's modern world, there's so much data and, and analytics out there. As a head coach, what are you trying to focus on as the main pieces of information that you sort of go back to every now and again? And what stuff are you trying to sort of not focus too much on? Yeah, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of statistics, isn't there, you know, in, in all sports now. Um, you know, so what we've tried to narrow our focus to is is um, what we call win metrics. So, so what are the win metrics, you know? So there's those things that um, potentially difference between winning and losing. You know, so in rugby league, what we've seen is, you know, people will talk about completion rates, but what we've seen over a period of time, completion rates don't win your games. Like, um, I think two years ago when the Bulldogs finished last, they had the highest completion rate in the competition, but they finished last. So so you've got to try and minimise all the noise because there's so many stats. Um, but what we've tried to do, and, and again, I learned this from Eddie Jones with regards to, um, you know, his time at England rugby, I just like the way the narrative focus to, to only the important few stats, you know, and we call them win metrics, and I've sort of probably taken that idea um, from a time with with England rugby, um, what are the really important things? Oh, we don't we don't show a lot of statistics or a lot of numbers to the players, um, just what they need to know. But one of the things they need to know is, you know, we and again I won't talk about it, but we've got some win metrics that that's all we'll show to the players. Um, it's it's the you know it's the few big rocks, so to speak. On we know that's the difference between winning and losing games. So that's what we sort of do, and you know that's what coaches and potentially all sports could think about. Okay, what's the difference? You know, are you just giving players stats because that's what they show on the tally or what another another team does in your competition. But you know, a good challenge would be think about okay, well, what are the five six things that are the difference between winning and losing? So that's always sort of show the players. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a really good way to do it, and yeah, not focus um, on on too much and try and avoid um, some things that you might be getting carried away with as well. Because there's, like you said, there's there's so much stats out there and in analytics as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. So how has strength conditioning training helped your athletes become better rugby athletes out, out on the field? Yeah, well, we, we have an approach, like it's, essentially it's an integrated approach um, to how we repair. So now the fancy term for it is tactical periodization. Um, but essentially it just means you, you integrate it across all parts of, of your program. So by that I mean, you know, your strength and conditioning coach isn't working in a silo and then, your, you know, your footy coaches or your technical tactical coaches are working in that silo over there and they never talk to each other and they never, um, you know, collaborate or communicate. So, um, you know, what we do inside the gym has got to have some sort of transfer or complement our game model. So how we want to play our football, 
um, you know, what we do on the field, um, we theme up our days um, and we marry up the physical with the tactical, technical. So, you know, an easy way to describe to the listeners would be, um, you know, we have a day, what we call our bolt day, which um, from a physical point of view, it's, it's our extensive running, so our high-speed running, so to speak. And then we try and marry that up with, okay, technical, tactically, what are the high-speed efforts in rugby league or rugby union? And that's like your kick sprint, isn't it? You know, like your kick sprint or, you know, your transitional um, stuff, you know, in, in rugby league or rugby union where they're kicking the ball and you're going from attack to defence or defence to attack. So we might do that on one day. Then the next day, um, is uh, as, as a change of pace day or an XLB cell day. So you think about in, in rugby league or rugby union where your most changes of pace are, um, you know, when you're, when you're attacking in good ball, you know, so when you're attacking opposition trial line or when you're defending your trial line. So inside that 20 or 22, you know, there's a lot of changes of pace, a lot of like up, down, accelerations, et cetera. So, you know, even the way that we prepare there. And I think ultimately also from a mental skills point of view, so, you know, how we, how we reset after an error, you know, so we've got some mental skills mental skills um, that we um, have implemented to, to, to get to our next job. Um, if we can get scored against or particular drill training is not going so well, what sort of huddle, you know, what's the huddle look like rather than just like 10 people talking? You know, we have uh, an opportunity to reset, get neutral and then and give the one or two things that are really important to go forward. So, yeah, we try and integrate our approach and the strength and conditioning side of thing has to complement our game model, otherwise we don't do it. Yeah, 100%. So what was strength and conditioning like back when you were playing? Was it... Um, something a bit a lot different to where it is now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was really lucky. I've got to say, I, you know, I came through the lower grades at Broncos as a player. We had a guy called Calvin Giles who was he, he was an Olympic back and field coach. Was, he was cutting edge. You know, he'd come from England where he had coached guys like um, you know Daly Thompson and those sort of people, and he led the program at the AOS in the early eighties. So, look. Broncos were ahead of the game, not just you know having test players and origin players, but they were ahead of the game physically when I was a kid coming through. I had four, five years there in the lower grades from 17 through to, to um, 22. And, um, so we were really lucky there. We were really lucky. Um, then when I went to Canberra, they were heavily influenced by the AOS. So I turned up to Canberra and guys like Bradley Clyde, Laurie Daly, they, they were like um, Olympic athletes, mate, the way they prepared. So, you know, um, so, so I was quite fortunate, but um, it, it was probably more in solos. That's probably the only different, you know, the only difference for me. Now I can't talk about other clubs, but when I went to to, to England, it was nicely different. Last year I went and played for uh, for a club called Hull KR in the north of England, and the gym program was more like bodybuilding. And then you got on the park, and the speed program was like you you're training for a hundred meter race, and then you did your footy stuff. And there was never an integrated approach to. So how you prepare? But I was quite lucky, yeah. When I was when I was playing in Australia um, at Broncos in the lower grades, and then in first grade at Canberra, um, yeah, we both those clubs were in the nineties, probably ahead of of the game, so to speak. Yeah, hundred percent. It's just really cool to see how it's evolved over you know the last twenty years, and oh, yeah. and the and the way that it's going now. Yeah, I mean. You know, the demands of the game, we know exactly what the game looks like through GPS, you know, so you can be really specific about, um, you know, ball in play, um, bouts of play, um, metres per minute, axles per minute, contact, you know, um, collisions per minute. Um, so you can prepare for the worst case scenario, you can prepare for, sorry, you can prepare for the most common scenarios. Um, so you can do all that within your training. So we've never had um, better programs for, um, for, for, for teams in the NRL. So what you've got to try and look at, okay, is what, what 
is your competitive advantage. How can we get ahead of the game by how you prepare? So that's always something that we're always thinking about. Um, legally, you know, get a competitive mm-hmm. advantage. And um, and so we're always trying to, you know, trying to do that. And every club in the NRL, um, you know, or at international rugby you know, level, we're always trying to do that. Yeah, 100%. Hi, everyone. We just want to take a quick break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC blog today. You'll find our website link in our bio below. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Elite Rugby SNC on all social media platforms to all your family and friends. Thanks again for all your support, and now back to the episode. What do you often think is neglected and forgotten about in a rugby league program, say at the top level, but also um, gi- giving some advice for more the, the semi-professional or amateur level? Um, yeah, well, I, look, I can't talk for um, what's neglected at other clubs in the NRL because, you know, I don't know. Um, but I, I think probably, you know, at, at junior level, potentially um, what I just spoke about, having an integrated approach, even, you know, when it's just you and your assistant coach and your assistant coach is also the the you know the strength and conditioning coach for your under 18 side you know um, at your local club like how can you you know how can you use games at training as an example so rather than do fitness drills you know when you're training twice a week how can you use games small sided or big sided games where there's decisions to be made there's skill um, execution to be to be had but also you get in those physical um, yeah you know, you're getting the physical preparation that, that's required so I think yeah just that Potentially something that would get neglected is that integrated approach, even at that lower level. Um, it comes with, you know, communication, collaboration. But, um, yeah, I can't talk for, for other clubs. But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that, that small side of games definitely is a, a game changer for a lot of athletes and, and teams. And if you can do it well and get, keep that metres per minute and intensity up, you're definitely going to see some good transfer over to the field as well. Yeah, I, look, you, you definitely will. I think, um, you know, if I'm coaching... Um, you know, um, you know, park footy um, or local club rugby, and you've only got two one-hour sessions a week. I'm using a heap of um, small-sided games into long-sided games. Um, you know, always competing. Um, you know, um, you know, short bursts. You know, short bouts of, of a couple of minutes with a with a small break, and you go again, and you, know, you can really expose the players to what the game looks like, um, even at that level. But um, yeah, there's something for coaches at um, semi-professional or amateur level to, to think about. Yeah, hundred percent. So, what was it like um, being an assistant coach to Eddie Jones over in England rugby? You know, something completely different to the NRL. And you know, England rugby they they definitely hold themselves up really high, and, and the media is yeah. just ruthless over there. So, what was it like? Um, yeah, working over there and working with Eddie Jones. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible experience. Um, in actual fact, it's probably yeah the the most um, most enjoyable experience I've had in coaching, I've got to say. Like, you know, to get the opportunity to coach against the Springboks with the world champions, right? You know, so the first time we played the Springboks was in 2021 when I was coaching. And, you know, we beat them at Twickham in front of 80-odd thousand people. Uh, had an opportunity to coach against the All Blacks. You know, when when does a, a league coach get an opportunity to coach against the All Blacks? You know, so as an assistant coach, we had a 25-all draw with the All Blacks at Twickenham. 82,000 pe- you know, people sell out. Um, you know, coached, you know, coached a series against the Wallabies over here, three-test series that we were fortunate enough to win. Um, there was all these really good experiences. And then there were some challenging times, um, you know, because right at the end, you know, Eddie was in the gun of the media over in the UK. Um, 
And, um, you know, so it was, it was a really interesting time, you know, even trying to help Eddie navigate through that. But I, I loved it. I, I ended up coaching 15 tests for England, which for a guy from Rockhampton who um, is from a, a rugby league background, um, yeah, it's probably unheard of. So, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. I learned a heap. Um, and, and Eddie's a world-class coach, regardless of what's going on with the Wallabies at the moment. He's a world-class coach, and I was really fortunate to spend you know, two two years essentially um, six, six months working as a consultant, and then eighteen months um, you know, doing the the um, assistant coach role. Um, yeah, you know, for England was that was yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'm currently reading his book, and it does help me understand more of what he's trying to do and how he's trying to do it as well. So I think we can um, jump to conclusions pretty quickly. And, you know, it's, it's very disappointing to see how the Wallabies went and, you know, it's not just Eddie, it's, you know, the whole system that's been in place, you know, yeah. um, Rome wasn't built in a day, but also wasn't destroyed in a day as well. So I think if you can give Eddie some slack and, and try and read his book or just understand what he's trying to do, yeah. I think, I think you can really understand what, what's, what's going on. Yeah, well, he's a world-class coach. So he's got the most, he had the most winning record in the history of England coaches. Uh, only coach ever to win two series in Australia, two three-test series in Australia. Um, yeah, one Grand Slams, took him to the World Cup final. So, like that, that the, the the facts are there. You know, he took um, Australia to a World Cup final in two thousand and three. Won a World Cup as an assistant with Springboks in two thousand and seven. Like he's done everything in the game. He's a good coach. The challenge for the Wallabies at the moment, unfortunately, is the depth in their squad, and they've got a very young group coming through. Um, and it reminds me a lot of the young Broncos guys I had back in, um, you know, in, in my, my season and a half in Brisbane Broncos. Like that same crew, I think, out of the grand final, like there was um, nine or ten of those guys I gave the boost to, and there was another two or three who had played sort of between three and ten games. And we always knew they were going to come on and progress. And Eddie's gone down this route of, of you know, giving these young guys the opportunity, and it's going to take time to develop because the system's forward in Australia. And everyone can see that. Um, and certainly coaching against them, you can see that. You know, there's not great depth in, in rugby union. All the best kids in New South Wales and Sydney, and I, I shouldn't say, generally speaking, all the best kids go to rugby league, even if they're rugby union players, because financially you can go straight from school and then, well, now on a development contract is 80, 80 grand. You know, so straight out of school you can go and do that. And... So financially, they're, they're better awarded in rugby league um, as they come through out of school in, and go into full-time systems and they're training systematically in full-time systems so you can see that incremental improvement over, over the first couple of years. And, and guys like Cam Murray or Angus Crichton or Joseph Sawalee, all guys who play GPS rugby, um, and, you know, just to name three, you know, they all got better over the first two or three years. Unfortunately, in the rugby system, Yep, they play a couple of games in under twenties, and then predominantly they're play, they're training Tuesday and Thursday night with Randwick or Eastwood or Manly or Upper Brizzy at, at um, you know West or, or Jeeps or, or you know or Brothers, and um, yeah, it's it, it's a real challenge for them. And um, but they're, they're going to have a good team. Like I think Eddie's right. Like in four years' time, they have a really good team, but they just got to stay the distance. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So, what were some of the things that you um you've already alluded to a couple of them um that you learned from rugby that you get applied to rugby league? Is there any others that sort of um that you can think of? And what could you know rugby work on that rugby league is currently doing really well as well? Oh well, there's always take takeaways in whatever sport you're working. Now, the biggest thing I, I I got from rugby you know what got me to think about was how can we create more contests in rugby league? Like um you know, everything's a contest in, in rugby union, so every ruck's a contest. Every scrum's a contest. Every line-out's a contest. 
every box kicks a contest. So there's so many contests throughout the game. In rugby league, a lot of the contests have been taken away over time to try and speed the game up. So scrums aren't a contest anymore. They're a restart. So they serve a purpose because it takes out some defenders, but they're not a contest. It's a restart. Um, you know, you can, you can get a contest through a one-on-one uh, tackle in rugby league. In the old days, you used to be able to, to rake it and play the ball. No, that was a contest. That's been taken away. So... You know, it got me thinking about how can we create more contests in rugby league. Um, so there's certain ways you can do that, even if you just look at the aerial contests um, as an example. Um, so so that was certainly one thing and 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 probably not be so systematic in so far as, um, you know, in rugby union, often you'll see both centres together. You know, you won't have a, a designated left centre and designated right centre. So how can we sort of um, think a bit more freely and uh, – you know, less sort of structured. How can we use potentially that short side centre getting going across the other side of the field and whether it's um, centre to centre or, or or be an option on the other side of the field. Just little things like that. Um, yeah, and, and I really like the way that, um, um, you know, rugby, or well, particularly England with Eddie, yeah, went, went around their, you know, their, their training and their, their training design and so on. I thought that was that was really good, yeah. Mm, awesome. I think the big thing that in, in rugby union over the last sort of three, four years is playing the short side. And I think in rugby league, that's com- becoming a thing as well, playing that short side and, and making sure that no athlete is, you know, getting comfortable out there and you, you're trying to attack them when they're trying to take a little break out there as well. So I think that's a really cool thing that I've seen in rugby league that I think our union have sort of led the way a little bit. Um, yeah, I probably disagree a little bit with that, but um, I think one thing that, you know, Union's taken from, from league is you'll see Ireland play now. Like they, they, they play like a rugby league team, you know, so they use their, their forwards as their ball players coming out of yardage. Um, you know, they, they use block state, which is quite prevalent in rugby league. Any foul, the Irish coach um, used to play for Wigan and, and he's got them playing like he played as a as a 13 in rugby, rugby league. Um, he played a, as a ball-playing 13. So you can see his influence from rugby league on that. Sean Edwards, the French defence coach, um, I was fortunate enough to play with Sean, but he's a Super League and English rugby league legend. He's taken a lot of that those up-and-in principles or what they call blips in rugby union to, to Wales, well, WASP, which is a club side, Wales and now France. And they're probably considered the best defensive side. So the best attacking side in union and the best defensive side in union at the moment um, you could argue, or arguably the best, are uh, very heavily influenced by, by rugby league coaches. I um, mean, always rugby league players and, and Andy Farrell and Sean Edwards. Um, so, yeah, I think there's so many things that, um, particularly in phase play, that rugby union can learn from rugby league. Um, but because I've got so much time to spend on lineouts and scrums, um, they don't get a lot of time to, to do it, you know. So that's the difference. But, um, yeah, you always learn with both codes. Yeah, yeah, and and definitely the uh, the forwards coach will definitely ask for another ten or fifteen minutes on scrums or line out. So that so yeah, you do, do, do lose some time. I worked that out. Yeah, I worked that out. Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, pretty funny sometimes. But yeah, it's 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 just cool to see how um, coaching can definitely apply to both sports and. Um, I think it's very unique to uh, to both areas as well because it's there's not many sports that are so similar um, in, in sort of structures and, and players as well. So it's really cool to see that um, coaches yeah. are getting opportunities in, in both sports. Yeah, definitely. Do you think you ever come back to rugby union one day in the future and do some more um, coaching in there or um, you sort of uh, I, I, just don't know? Look, man, I, I haven't thought past Manly and I've got um, – yeah, you know, I really enjoy um, the, the job at Manly. It's it's been really enjoyable. Twelve months being back in the NRL. It's a uh, you know um, you know coaching very um, 
you know, very much a cycle, you know. Um, and I've enjoyed my first 12 months, you know, but ultimately I've got two years left here in Manly. I want to stay at Manly. Um, yeah, but I also understand, you know, we need to make the finals over the next couple of years and, um, and we want to play finals football. So, yeah, we're really narrow focus on that. But one thing I would say is that I really enjoyed rugby at international level. Um, it was uh, it was a fantastic experience. Um, but, yeah, I'm really com- committed to, to what I'm doing with Manly and, um, you know, really focused on the next 24 months with, with, with the Manly Club. I love it. Um, you know, I'd like to stay for longer than that. Awesome. But who knows, maybe when it's all said and done, you're old, you're not, you're not coaching professionally anymore. You, you, you just go have a crack in you know, under 16s or under 18s coaching a rugby team. That would, I think that would be pretty cool as well, just to go back yeah. and see and see if you can coach them to a successful yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would always love to give back because, you know, one of my key philosophies is, is be a servant to the players, you know, and mm-hmm. I started coaching schoolboy footy. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have a professional career in, in both codes for, you know, 18 or 19 years now um, since I left being a school teacher. Um, and, yeah, I've loved it. So whenever I'm done, I'm sure at some stage um, down the track when I've when I retired from professional coaching, I'm sure, you know, whether it's as an assistant coach or, you know, do, do something with somebody because, um, yeah, I enjoy helping others and um, I enjoy enjoy that sort of team um, yeah, com- camaraderie and, and helping others. Mm. Would you ever strap on the boots again and play some of those low grades or not? No chance. Really cool. no, I'm, I'm 49, mate, so there's no chance in the world I'm playing <laughs> any sort of Masters rugby or rugby league. Yeah, that fair enough. Right, next part, short and sharp uh, questions. Answer as quick or as uh, long as you want to. So outside of rugby union, uh, sorry, not rugby union, outside of rugby league, what sports do you like to keep up to date with and watch? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I watch heaps of, of rugby union. Um, and, you know, I, I don't watch any of the NRL, um, what do you call magazine shows or anything like that. I watch all the rugby union and, and AFL ones. Like I watch AFL 360, um, a big um, Carlton and Collingwood um, and Port Adelaide, those three clubs, I've sort of um, got to know their coaches really well, so I sort of support those club, those three clubs from a distance. So, um, you know, if I just want to chill out and, and watch a bit of uh, rugby or, or AFL, um, you know, I'll, I'll watch you know, Stan Sport for the rugby and I'll watch, um, you know, the uh, the Fox for, for the AFL channel there um, and watch games or watch some of the magazine shows because it's not rugby league. I don't want to be listening to the opinions um you know, within the media around the sport that I'm coaching in. So um, that's a good way for me to tune out. And the third sport is cricket. Like, I love cricket. Uh, I played at a really high level until I was 18 or 19 years of age and um, and then give it away because I was playing footy. Um, or footy got a bit more serious. And, um, yeah, I love it. So I follow the, the cricket. So those three sports, um, yeah, I love following those three sports. That's awesome. Were you more of a batter or bowler or a bit of an all-rounder? Yeah, and I was a bowler. Yeah, I was, I was a bowler. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed cricket. It was, it was a great sport to play as a, as a young bloke. Yeah. Have you guys ever gotten the, the the bat and the ball out at, at Manly yet and showed them some some heat in in, in the mist uh, or anything like that? Uh, my, look, uh, my shoulders probably couldn't bowl too quick. I'd be a, I'd be a, a slow, medium pace. It'd just be really accurate trying to put it on the spot, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but look, we haven't. We typically have um, the, the club typically has an Australia Day cricket game each year, and for one reason or another, we weren't able to do it last year. But certainly something that you know we'd like to, to do. And actually, um, we get on really well with the, the Manly um, Cricket Club here, so they've sort of asked us would we want to play them in a twenty twenty game over the over the off season before Chrissy. So we'll do something like that with the guys because. Um, yeah, a lot of our guys, you know, love cricket as well, like Jake Boyovich and 
Um, you know, Lockie Croker, those sort of guys are a big cricket fan. So, um, yeah, they fancy themselves as well. No, that's awesome. So which Manly player is due for a breakout season next year in your eyes? Um, look, I think Tolu Kola and Hamali Alakawatu both had um, yeah, career best seasons this year. So I think those two guys, along with Tenyo Paseka, who's our front row, um, you know, they, they've, they've all played enough NRL now, so it's not so much a breakout season. But I can just see one of those three guys coming through and, and, and really um, yeah, becoming elite players. Um, you've got a really high opinion of all three of those guys. Yeah. That's awesome. Which song would you pick to sing at a karaoke bar? Um, it'd be something from Guns N' Roses or Free Fighters. So um, I do fancy myself as a, as a karaoke singer after a few beers, I've got to say, but I'm not very good. <laughs> so. Is there any common misconceptions that you hear in rugby league that is just wrong? Um, uh, yeah, look... That, that, you know, there's always a lot of misconceptions, you know, outside your building um, about what's going on within the building. But um, yeah, look, we live we live in a in um, a world where you know there's 24 seven focus on you know NRL and AFL in Australia in particular. So there's that sort of 24 seven news cycle. So there's always different stories, um, and and some are close to the mark, some are close to the mark, but. Um, yeah, no, you, you never know what's going on in someone else's club or, or another club unless you're near yourself. So uh, common misconception would be if, you know, if there's a, a narrative painted in the media that that's 100% correct um, or if there's a, a narrative you know, painted on social media by some, you know, certain groups of supporters or teams supporters or whatever, that's the correct. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's life. But, yeah, there's, there's yeah. always misconceptions about different teams and different sports. So Yeah, 100%. Who was the funniest player on the Manly team in your eyes? Um, yeah, that's a really good, really good question. To be fair, um, there's quite a few guys got a little bit of banner about them. Um, whether they're funny, funny, I'm not so sure. Um, but there's, yeah, some really you know good guys with, with some real good sense of humor. You know, guys like Toff Sipley and those sort of guys are yeah, you know, they're really very much the glue to the group. Um, you know, Tommy Chaboyovich is actually a little bit numerous too um, when, he, when he wants to be. He's, he's a bit cheeky, but, yeah, there's a good group of lads there. So, um, yeah, really good group of lads there. And, yeah, enjoy coaching. Wow, that's awesome. What has been um, sort of the a, a big game-changing moment in your uh, coaching career that sort of stands out? Um, well, probably um, Eddie offering me um, a job sort of two weeks after I finished at Brisbane Broncos. I think, you know, the easy thing, would have been, you know, for, for um, you know, someone to give it more time before offering me an opportunity. Like he offered me a consulting role, um, you know, two weeks after I finished the Bronx. So that was that was great um, because it allowed what it did was I didn't have to go over there. I was doing like doing externally for six months. It allowed me to spend some time um, being a coach mentor at Newcastle, but also doing some mentoring in. Um, the business world, like so Kestrel Coal, which would be Coleman Company, they were getting me to, to do some mentoring with their leaders, you know, um, across their organisation, which is a vast organisation because it's massive, you know, it's Coleman. Um, so I was doing bits and pieces and it allowed me to do some media. I was doing some commentary for radio. I was doing a little bit for Channel 9. Um, so it allowed me all these opportunities and then off the back of that, um, Eddie asked me to go full-time thing on rugby so I was traveling over there for the best part of 18 months and as I said I coached 15 tests and, and when I was coming back I was still doing some um some stuff in the media so yeah like I probably wouldn't have ever had, had that opportunity if, if 
you know, some other things in life didn't go the way they did um, a couple of years before. So there's always, you know, a silver lining or an opportunity when you think, you know, things aren't, aren't, haven't gone that well. You know, if you can dust yourself up, dust yourself off and get up and, and have another go. But, yeah, Eddie really believed in me. And um, as I said, he gave me an opportunity to, to do some work for him. Um, he, you know, originally was looking at some of their opposition and how, England could attack them and, and then as I said he offered me the um, full-time um, senior assistant coach defence role um, which was great so yeah that was certainly um, yeah that, that was you know a great opportunity for me and ultimately led to me coming back to the NRL. No, that's awesome. Do, do you feel like it, there was more pressure um, on you, you know, the first time you were speaking in front of the camera for like, um, say, um, Channel 9 or all the radio compared to coaching? Like did you get some butterflies um, in the tummy before that? No, I, look, um, I, because I'd done quite a bit, you know, as, as a coach, you're always getting interviewed and so on. Um, yeah, and no, I felt, felt pretty comfortable. It was, it was a good experience looking at it through a different lens, right? You know, you're looking mm. at it from, from from the media's perspective. and um, So I reckon that really helped me because, um, yeah, you're looking at it with a different lens. So, no, it was, it was, it was uh, I really enjoyed that experience. And, um, yeah, it taught me a lot about, you know, the media side of things. You know, I've always come from, you know, just the coach's side mm. of things, but, yeah, you know, having a different lens and, and looking at it from a different perspective and the media perspective certainly, um, yeah, I reckon it, it's you know it's helped me. No, it's awesome. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would you have on it and why? Um, that, that yeah, that's a, it's a really good question. Um, I, I think it would change. I think you, you know one of those revolving um, mm. <laughs> Um, billboards, you know, something like in Times Square or whatever, it would be revolving. And there'd be two or three you know, key things at the time that you think are important. Um, and I think it, it would change at different times, you know, what you would have up on there. But um, yeah, it'd be about, the t- you know, something about the team, you know, something about about connection and, 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 and team first um, without sort of, you know, thinking of, of a corny quote, you know, um, it'd be something about the team. Hundred mm, percent. Do you have any book recommendations that people should read? Um, yeah, well, look, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of books I, I would um, yeah, could recommend. But I think if if you're a coach and you want to get better at the teaching side of things, there's a guy called Doug Lamov. Um, it's spelled L-E-M-O-V, and um, he's got some some really good books. Um, and one in particular, um, um, I think it's called The Coach's Guide to Teaching. I really recommend. People want to get better in that um, in that side of you know that side of their coaching, whether it's S and C staff or or, or um, a technical tactical coaches. It'd be worthwhile having a, a look at Doug's stuff and, and having a look at that book. But um, any book you can learn from, like you know, as I said, there's, there's so many good ones. Um, but that, that's just one that I think you know would be good. Um, and I think the other one would be I think by um, a guy called um, Wade Gilbert. Um, you know, he's got some, some, some really good stuff. He's out of the States um, on, on the coaching, you know, coaching pedagogy, that sort of thing. So, yeah, good ones. Um, if you, you know, purely want to look at the, the teaching and the coaching practice, practice side of things. Awesome. And what is a highlight that sort of stands out the most um, in your coaching career uh, so far? Um, well, there's probably three. Well, look, one is, you know, having the opportunity to be an assistant coach with, with Queensland State of Origin. Um, I was lucky to do that um, for a couple of series. 
Um, the second one is, you know, to, to everything like rugby, you know, as an assistant coach, um, different sport, different country, different culture. And then the third one is, is um, you know, as being a head coach and, um, you know, taking South Sydney from, from um, you know, way down the table to, um, you know, preliminary final, you know, albeit we didn't make the grand final. But, you know, as a head coach in my first year, that really stood out, you know, how we were able to make some, some, some um, you know, some significant change there and, um yeah, lead that group to to a prelim final, um, and hopefully it's in front of me. You know, like the aspiration is to win mm. a premiership while I'm coaching. So I'm hoping that the number one, um, you know, the, the number one goal of winning a premiership um, comes to fruition. But th- those three things, you know, stand out. Like they're, they're three pretty cool experiences when I reflect back on, um, you know, getting the opportunities. Um, yeah, those three different opportunities. No, it's awesome. So who should be my next guest on the podcast? Is there any coaches or athletes that uh, come to mind that should jump on for a chat? Yeah, I reckon um, if you get John Clark, um, John's actually coming to Miami as their head of performance. Um, John worked with Eddie for six or seven years at England Rugby. Um, so essentially through um, you know one and a half, or one and three quarter cycles with England Rugby. Um, and he came from Warrington as their head of performance and, and um, he, but prior to that, came through, played 300 odd Super League games, represented Great Britain. Um, so he, he's very good, and one of the reasons why we're going to Manly, we feel as though he's world class, and we wanted to add world class staff to our environment. So you'd find him a really interesting um, chat. And then from a player's point of view, I think um, Tommy Trebovich would be one that um, you know really well educated young bloke. Um, he's he's seen the highs of the game, you know, individually, you know, individual recognition, but he's also seen the lows through his injuries and how he sort of mentally had to, uh, mentally and physically, um, how he's had to recondition himself over um, a few different challenging injuries. I think you'd, you'd enjoy talking to, to those two guys from, from our club, yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for the recommendation. So where can yeah. listeners find you on social media if they just want to keep up to date with um, what's, what's going on with your coaching career? Yeah, but I, I don't do anything on social media um, other than, uh, LinkedIn, yeah, but uh, I'll stay well away from it. Easy done to go on LinkedIn, but you know, just follow Manly on Instagram, and that's how you'll sort of best there keep up go. to date with yourself. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Easy done. So thanks, thanks for joining me today. It's been awesome to get your insight, yeah. and it's it's very fascinating insight. You know, working in both sports at the highest levels, and I think I've gotten a lot from it, and I know our listeners will get a lot from it as well. So thanks for joining me today, and all the best for the upcoming uh, NRL season. Yeah, good on you, Karen. Thanks so much, man. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Elite Rugby SNC Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify and YouTube, and make sure you follow us on Instagram. Sign up to Come A Beast via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, don't wait, make that good decision, and join Elite Rugby SNC today, and take your game to the next level.